Well, good morning. Welcome to Easter at Renewal Church. It's good to see you guys. Hey, we have an old tradition in the church where somebody on, on Easter, somebody says, he is risen, and you reply back, he is risen indeed. Can we try it? All right. He is risen. That was good on the first time. We're good there. Hey, thank you for being here. Easter is my favorite time as an adult. And if I didn't introduce myself, I'm Jared Kirk. I'm the pastor of Renewal Church. And Easter has become my favorite time. I didn't grow up in church. Actually, my very first memory is getting knocked unconscious at a jungle gym at an Easter egg hunt in a Methodist church down in South Florida. When I was a little kid, Easter was not my favorite time of the year. Christmas was not my favorite time of the year. I was a weird kid. So my favorite time of the year was hurricane season. And I'll tell you why. Because in, in South Florida in hurricane season, what you do is, you, when a hurricane's coming, you board up the windows of your house so that it's jet black in there. And when you're really little, you think, if I'm lucky, the power will go out. Because then my parents will light candles, and my, my father, who's a, a bit of a stoic man, would actually play board games with us children. And so, I mean, as a kid, that was just as good as it could get. And my sister, who was normally too cool for her baby brother, she would play, uh, she would turn the couch into a fort, and I, I just loved it. The problem was, as a kid, I didn't realize the destructive potential of the storm that was happening around outside of us. But that changed in 1992 when Hurricane Andrew came through South Florida. And it came through in the middle of the night. And so first thing in the morning, my family woke up. There was no power. There was nothing else to do. So we went out the front door into that thick South Florida air. You need gills to breathe in this air. It's so humid. And we walked out into it to just see what had happened in the neighborhood. And our house was completely untouched. But right in our neighborhood, some houses had had trees come down through the roof or crush a car. It looked a lot like this. And some of the, the roof had just been ripped right off of the houses. And some people had to go live in shelters. And that's when I, I began to learn a couple of important lessons in life, even as a child. One of them is, you'd better be prepared before the storm comes. Because if you're waiting till the last second, it's too late. If you've ever lived through a nor'easter in New England, you know you go to the grocery store and what's missing? Milk, eggs, and bread. Everyone is rushing home to make French toast. The shelves are empty. If you wait till the last second to prepare, it is too late. That's the first lesson I learned, and here's the second one. It matters how you build. My house was made out of concrete blocks, which is not uncommon for South Florida. But some of the stick-built houses and some of the trailers were completely wiped away by that storm. It matters how you build. Now, Jesus, when he lived 2,000 years ago, before he died, before the resurrection, he walked around teaching people about life and how to, how to build a life that would last, a life of resilience, so that no matter what came your way, you could stand through it. And Jesus talked about storms coming into your life and what lessons you need to have learned, what you need to have in place to face the storm. So let me share with you a little bit of what Jesus said, and then we'll talk about Easter afterwards. In Matthew 7, now this is actually in your teaching notes, so go ahead and take out these teaching notes. They look like this. They're in your program. And I want you to write some stuff down today. And in Matthew 7, Jesus talks about how to build a life that can withstand the storms of life. And here's what he says. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against that house, it won't collapse because it is built 
on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, in the last sentence, I want you to circle the word when. Because that little word when, you know what that means? It means the storms of life are coming. It's not a matter of if storms come in your life. It's a matter of when they come. So you'd better be prepared before they get there. And now I want you to look up and circle a couple more words for me. Circle the words sand and solid rock. Jesus teaches here that you'd better be prepared for the storms in your life and that it matters how you build You know, we're in a teaching series, we're starting today, and it's going to continue for the next four or five weeks called Unshakable Faith. And here's something I've learned in my life about faith and how to live unshaken when the storms of life come against you. It's not about how much faith you have. It's about what you put your faith in. Some people think, man, I wish I had more faith. And, you know, you, you think maybe if I close my eyes and just try really hard, I can't believe any harder. You just get a hernia. Unshakable faith is about what you put your trust in, what you put your faith in. And Jesus says here, if you build on sand, if you, if you trust in the wrong things, it's all going to get washed away. Building on sand is building on things that disappear in this life. Possessions, people, power, positions. If you build your life on that, eventually your life will be shaken. But Jesus says there is a wise person too, and that's a person who builds their life on solid rock. And according to Jesus, the solid rock is the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Christ. So that no matter what comes into your life, you have built a life that can stand through that. You have a resilient life. You have an unshakable faith. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today is how to have unshakable faith. And that starts with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about facing failure. We're going to talk about dealing with serious illness and doubt because most of us can withstand the the, the minor challenges of life, the minor storms, the everyday struggles. We've got the coping skills to get through that. But when when life throws a wrench into it, when, when things seem to blow up and a major storm comes against your life, how do you stand through that? How do you have unshakable faith? That starts with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's what we're discussing today. So here's what I want to do. We're going to go back to that first Easter 2,000 years ago. So in your message notes, look at John chapter 20. It's the second passage that's in there. And when we find the disciples, this is after the crucifixion of Jesus, And their faith was shaken. They were confused. They didn't know what had happened. Their whole world had been turned upside down. So let's listen in on those first disciples 2,000 years ago. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now, pause there. When we first encounter these disciples, they are not bold, they are not courageous, they are not civilization-shaping forces for world change, which is what we find later in the New Testament and later in the Gospels. No, the door is locked and they are living in fear. Their whole world has been shaken. They've got more questions than answers. For the disciples, they've lost someone they loved and it's shaken their life. Their greatest hopes and dreams have ended in failure, and it's shaken their life. And now they are full of doubt. We thought Jesus was the Messiah. We thought Jesus was the one, but we don't know. And they're about to be transformed in this moment, in that 
in that dark room with the locked door from shaken disciples into people with unshakable faith who will change the world. And what changes? Let's keep reading. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He's showing them the nail marks in the place where he was pierced with the spear. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In that moment, all of their finger pointing stopped. All of the blame that was happening between them, the shame that they felt from running away in Jesus' greatest moment of need, it was gone. The anxiety, the worry, the fear disappeared. The confusion, gone, because Jesus was raised from the dead. And if you study the later chapters of Acts and the Gospels, you find the transformation that happens of these exact disciples in this room. Peter turns from the easily shaken denier of Jesus into the unshakable leader of the early church. John turns from a broken-hearted friend of Jesus into a healer for other people. Thomas, perhaps you've heard of him, turns from the easily shaken doubter of Christ into the unshakable missionary for Jesus. Mark went from scared teenager to emerging leader and writer of scriptures. Mary went from tearful mother to triumphant caregiver. And on and on and on it goes, from Andrew to St. James. The resurrection changed everything for those disciples. And here's the, here's, the, here's the deal. The resurrection can change everything for you too. Because Jesus is no longer in the grave. He is alive. And so the same power and the same faith that he gave to them, he can give to you as well. How would it change your life if you had that kind of faith? How would it change how you go through the storms in your life if you believed like they believed and if you received what they received? So today, here's what we're gonna do for the rest of our time. We're gonna look at the four promises of unshakable faith. So look at the inside of your message notes. And I want you to write this down. Because I want you to walk out with a more solid foundation of faith than when you walked in here. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, I want you to walk out of here encouraged in your faith. Or maybe you checked C on the spiritual survey earlier on the connection card, and you said, I'm considering Christianity, I'm thinking about it. And maybe today, you're gonna need to change that answer from C, you're gonna need to cross that out and write B, I'm choosing to believe in Christ for the first time today. Or maybe you said, I don't think I'll ever believe. You know, there's some people sitting here in this church today who are following Jesus who once would have checked that box D. God wants to build and grow your faith. So here's the four promises of unshakable faith. Number one, God gives me peace when I am anxious. In that room, the disciples were incredibly anxious. They're locked behind the door, they're worried. The, the government authorities have just put Jesus to death and if they can do that to Jesus, they sure can do that to Jesus' followers. So there's a, there's a huge amount of anxiety and we know that because when Jesus shows up, what does he say to them? In verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He says it twice just to make sure they get it. Like, I know you're anxious, but now I'm giving you peace. When Jesus shows up, you get peace. Now, some of you understand the disciples because you're an anxious person. And you deal with anxiety, and, and some, for some of you, it even controls your life. When I was a little kid growing up, my best friend was Brian Miller. He lived five doors down from me, and his mother, uh, Lori, she was an anxious person. Lori never once said goodbye to me in my entire life. You know why? Because when we would walk out the door, she would say, be careful. She was anxious. 
And some of you have dealt with anxiety and it's crushed you. And you're you're anxious about, it's just this sort of buzz, this hum, and you feel it right here like in the pit of your stomach. And you're not sure what you're worried about, but you think maybe things are going to go wrong. And you're anxious that you're going to lose your job. You're anxious that you're going to be single forever. You're anxious that things are just going to crumble and that the sky is falling. And it, it really affects your life. You're anxious. But when Jesus shows up, when Jesus is alive, you can have peace. Now, how do you get that peace? Look with me at the next verse, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, because we want to talk about practically how you get peace when you're anxious. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, present your requests to God, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not huge on, on steps and that sort of thing, but there's a clear progression that happens here. And the very first part of this is you got to stop worrying. It says, do not be anxious. So when you feel anxious, you need to take a look at what's happening in your soul. You need to name it. Because so many times it's just that buzz, that feeling of something's wrong. So you need to figure out what the problem is that's causing you anxiety. Okay? Here's the second thing. You need to bring it to God in prayer. It says, in every situation by prayer and petition, present your request to God. So what you do is you take that problem, you grab that problem, and you hold it up. And then in prayer, you compare that problem to the power of your God. And when the size of your God is bigger than the size of your problems, your problems start to melt away. And then, only then, you get a peace, a supernatural peace that defies understanding. You know what that means? It means you understand because your God's bigger than your problems, but nobody else understands. Because nothing in your life, nothing in your circumstances has changed, but you've been comparing your problems to the power of God. And now you have peace. The first time I ever experienced this, I was helping with a summer camp for Christian youth. I was in college. And I had another counselor who reported to me, he was 19 years old, he was named Jason. And Jason came in one night and he started acting really funny. And after about 10 or 15 minutes, I started to think Jason was on acid. And I didn't know what to do exactly because that had never happened to me before. But about 20 minutes later, Instead of just being silly and goofy, his mental state started to deteriorate and I started to get scared. So much so that I called the, the leaders of the camp and 911. And we were out in the middle of nowhere. It was a black sky, it was stars, it was a camp. And so 20, 30 minutes later an ambulance arrives and the paramedic, she gets out, she looks at him for like 30 seconds. She comes over and she says, he's having a stroke. We need to leave now. And so they put him in the back of the ambulance, and they drove off down the gravel road with a rooster tail of dust coming up behind them, probably 30 minutes minimum to the closest hospital. And I was was overcome with anxiety, just like everyone else at the camp was. And so we stood around in a circle underneath the black sky and the stars, and we prayed. We said, God, this situation is in your hands and the the most unexplainable peace came into my life nothing had changed in my circumstances he was still in the ambulance on the way to the hospital but I felt peace I knew that the same God who made the stars could take care of Jason and I found peace And a big piece of that was knowing that Jason knew Jesus and was following Jesus. And even if something happened, even if my worst fears came true, 
The worst thing that would happen was while we were planning Jason's funeral, he would wake up in the presence of Jesus Christ. We'd be crying our eyes out. He would be having the best day of his life. I found peace. Now, it turned out that God answered our prayers. And Jason was just fine. He was always a little weird to begin with, so it was hard to tell. But he was just fine, and he made a full recovery. But that's what happens when you compare the size of your problems to the size of your God. You find peace. So what are you holding on to that you need to let go of? Here's the thing. If Jesus rose from the dead, then God is bigger than your problems. He is more powerful than your problems. So let it go and don't take it back. All right, that's the first promise. God gives me peace when I'm anxious. Here's number two. God gives me power when I'm weak. Those disciples in the room were full of anxiety. They were full of worry, but they were also feeling incredibly vulnerable and weak because if the government leaders could kill Jesus, certainly they could come for them too. Now, what's so interesting about this to me is as you look forward in these disciples' lives, they end up with the power to, to shape all of Western civilization. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. They changed the world because of the boldness and the courage and the power that they have. What changed in that room to, to, make, to move them from weak to powerful is that Jesus showed up and he gives them a gift, John 20, 22. With that, Jesus breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit and power are always linked together. And people always get confused about the Holy Spirit. They think it's kind of funny. Does the Holy Spirit just make you start babbling incoherently? No, when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, here's what it says. God, when you, when you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, God gives you the Holy Spirit as a gift. And Here's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives you the power to change your life today. He gives you the power to fulfill God's calling on your life. And he gives you the power to help others find and follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit works in your life in that way. And so when Jesus is giving them the Holy Spirit, he's also giving them power. Now, in Romans, it talks about this connection between the Holy Spirit and power, so I just want to show you. Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with the confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I know that some of you have felt weak in private moments. I, I have. I know you felt like I don't have the power to change, like I keep making the same bad decisions over and over again. And when I look in my life, there's a wake that's being left of a trail of hurt people and broken relationships because I don't have the power I need to change. Maybe you actually, maybe you feel physically weak. Maybe, maybe, maybe as a child, you grew up and you always felt two steps behind everybody else. And that sense of weakness and vulnerability has carried with you even as an adult. For some people, it's shyness or a personality flaw. You can't change. But when Jesus left the grave, he proved there is serious power available to change, and he offers it to his followers. Now, I need to talk to men for just a second here, because let's face it, we don't like admitting any weakness in our life. We don't stand around bragging about how little we can lift at the gym. We don't talk about how little we can accomplish during the, during the work day. That's not an issue. Now, it's men and women, but I know men, you got to... It can be harder for you. But here's what I want you to understand. It's not about just weakness for weakness sake. It's about when you admit that you're weak, God's power becomes available to you. Maybe an illustration could help. I studied biomedical engineering in college, so this is just kind of how my brain works. Stick with me. Humor me for a second. I want you to imagine that you 
you, you created an invention that helps paralyzed people walk. And you're ready to show the world this invention. So you have to pick someone to demonstrate the machine. Would you pick someone with a slight limp? Or would you pick someone who was paralyzed from the waist down? Well, of course, you would pick the person who's paralyzed because in this particular case, the more weak the person is physically, the more you're demonstrating the power of the invention. God's not looking for strong people who think they're strong and don't need him. God uses people who admit their weaknesses so that his power can be displayed in your life. And the power is not available to you unless you acknowledge and own your weaknesses. The power, the the whole point of this is not that I just boast about the fact that I'm weak and that I can't change in my life. No, the, the whole point is I can change through the power of God. The point is not bragging about, well, I can, I can never accomplish anything great. No, it's like the great things I've accomplished have been by the power of God. When I've served, it's been by the power of God. When I've helped someone, it's been by the power of God. And that power is available to us because Jesus rose from the dead. One of the coolest verses in the whole New Testament connects the power that rose, raised Jesus from the dead and the power available in your life. Look at Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. It says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Isn't that crazy? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you when you believe, when you turn from your sin to follow Jesus. And when when that's true of your life, your weaknesses are no longer liabilities. They're just a chance for God to show off his power. All right, so God gives me peace when I'm anxious, power when I'm weak. God gives me courage when I'm afraid. In the face of overwhelming fear, with the disciples cowering in the locked room, Jesus' presence is what transforms them from fearful to courageous, John 20, 19. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. And I think this is so incredible. that Jesus didn't send a messenger. He doesn't send an angel. There's no motivational poster. Jesus isn't like, hang in there, right? Jesus comes, he stands with them. His presence is what makes them courageous. His presence. And I, I suspect that Though you may not lead with this on Monday morning, that there are real fears that haunt your life, financial failure is a huge fear for everybody. Can we just acknowledge that for a second? That whether your net worth has one zero, because it's zero, (laughs) or your net worth has seven zeros on the end of it, fear of financial failure is real. Whether it's worrying whether you're going to have enough food to eat or worrying whether you're going to lose everything you have. I read a story this week about a man who had a net worth of $30 million, and he had a financial counselor who was trying to encourage him. Uh, He was towards the end of his life. His his, uh, financial planner was trying to encourage him to give a third of his money away to charity. And the man said, the man said, no, I'm afraid of losing it all. He said, you have so much money. How could you possibly be afraid of that? And the guy said, I lived through the Great Depression, and I lost more than $30 million in one day. Fear of financial failure is absolutely real. And so something like giving takes courage. Where does that come from? You know, in our church, it's not just finances. There's some real fear around ending up alone forever. And you're worried. You say, I'm just going to be alone. And my mom, she's just going to cry herself to sleep at night. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to find the one. I'm always going to be alone. And not only am I always going to be alone, I'm always going to be lonely. 
Some are afraid of failing at their career. Fear is a real part of life. And in fact, you know, when you really stop to think about just how how dangerous life can be. I mean, for goodness sakes, we live in Boston. You know, the metaphor of getting hit by a bus, that is an everyday reality for us. The question is not, why are we so afraid of these things? It's like, why aren't we afraid of more things? Are we not paying attention here? Listen, I have serious fears in my life too. I'm afraid of failing at this church plant that we started five, six years ago. Listen, it was not but a couple years ago that we showed up on a Sunday in the middle of the summer and had 17 people, and my family has five people in it. And you know, it's like, failure's not an option. Well, it's like, well, I think like it's on the list, you know? Like, I'm afraid of failing at this. There's a lot on the line for this. This church does a lot of good in a lot of people's lives. You know, I'm afraid that I'll get old and I won't have enough money to take care of my family. You know, I'm afraid that my littlest kids are gonna, be, are gonna be so young, they're not gonna remember their grandparents. I'm afraid of touching snakes. And I think that's valid. I really do. My son just catches them. He said, Daddy, a snake. And I say, if you touch me with that thing, I will ground you until Jesus comes back. <laughs> you know, if we, if we do not find courage in the face of our fears, we will end up paralyzed paralyzed. And, and there are some of you that you have not gone back to school because you're scared. You have not changed jobs because you're scared. You have not left home because you're scared. Your fears can paralyze you, but Jesus gives you something better than your fears or a pep talk. Jesus gives you his presence. The resurrection of the Jesus from the dead means his presence can be with you. Look at Deuteronomy 31.6. This was God speaking to the Israelites, and they were seriously scared about going into the promised land. And he says this, so be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Underline, personally go ahead of you. The way God gives you courage is to personally be with you. It's because of the resurrection that this is possible. He's not in the grave, he's risen. When I'm facing a situation in my life that I'm afraid of, I call my dad. Because he's stable, he's level-headed, he's wise. And after I talk to him on the phone, I have the courage I need to go into that situation. And, and honestly, it would be better if he, if he lived nearby and he could go with me. And I bet there's somebody in your life that when they're by your side, you feel courageous. But God promises to personally be with you with his presence, and he has the power to defeat death. So you can face those situations with courage. Second Timothy says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. When you have a spirit of fear in your life, that is not from God. That's not the spirit God gives to us. Instead, he gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So let me ask you, what would you do if you knew that you couldn't fail? What are you holding back on because of fear? What situation do you need to face head on with Jesus by your side? What conversation do you need to have that you've been terrified of having and things are getting worse because you're not facing it, but the moment you face it, it'll start to get better? What do you need to do with the courage of Jesus by your side? All right, so the four promises of unshakable faith this morning. God gives me peace when I'm anxious. He gives me power when I'm weak. God gives me courage when I'm afraid. And finally, God gives me a plan when I'm uncertain. You know, not only did the crucifixion of Jesus mean that the disciples had lost a friend and were now terrified, 
It also meant, you know, they were a part of a movement. They were trying to accomplish something in Israel. They thought Jesus was the Messiah. So they have this big hope and this big dream, and then it just crumbles in their hands at the crucifixion. And if you've ever lived through a serious life failure, like you didn't get into the school or you got kicked out of the school or you got fired from the job or the business that you started had to, like, you know that in the aftermath of that kind of failure, there is incredible uncertainty. I just don't know what to do next. And the disciples were facing that sort of uncertainty in the room. And into that uncertainty, Jesus shows up on the first Easter and he gives them clarity and he gives them direction. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. If you've ever been unemployed for a long time, you know what this feels like. Or if you have someone that you loved so deeply die unexpectedly, you know it, just, it, it can just shake your world. And in, in, in that void, it's just chaos and uncertainty. Jesus will give clarity and direction to your life. But unfortunately, he doesn't give a lot of detail. That's the, that's the hard part. But you know he does have a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a very famous verse in the Bible. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. God has these plans. He has these big plans, but you don't get to know the details. And maybe you have enough faith in your life today to say, I believe that. Somewhere deep down, I believe God has a plan for me, but I sure would like to know the details. God, could you just give me the first letter of his first name. Hey, nice to meet you. What's your name, Steve? Nope. No. Not wasting my time. It's just hard not knowing the details. When I got married 13 years ago to my, my wife, Heather, um, we went on a cruise because I was in charge of the honeymoon and I didn't want to worry that the whole honeymoon vacation would just fall apart to pieces and we would miss our flights. We, wouldn't, we didn't, wouldn't end up in the right place or whatever. So I booked a cruise. And the nice thing about it is, you know you're going to end up in the right place at the right time at the right destination. Because the only decisions I wanted to make are, which pool am I going to lounge at? And what restaurant am I going to eat at? And what color scooter am I going to ride when I get there? Because that's how I roll. Right? You know, that's actually not a terrible picture of what it's like to follow Jesus. When you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, your destination is set. And you get to, I, I believe you get great freedom along the way. Who am I going to marry? You have freedom in that. So pick well, ladies, you know. <laughs> Don't suffer through that decision for the rest of your life. No. You get freedom in who you're going to marry, what you're going to do, where you're going to live. Your destination is set. And you can, you can take a detour depending on the the decisions that you make, but the destination is fixed. God gives that to you as a plan. When you turn from your sin to follow Jesus, he makes the big picture of his plan clear. And we spend so much time worrying about our marriage and all that kind of stuff when we could just trust him. Now as we close, there is one plan, part of God's plan. You know, you don't get to know all the details of all God's plan, but there is one part of God's plan that he does not want you to be uncertain about, and that is God's plan of salvation. Most people are so confused, it's, they overcomplicate. How do I have a relationship with God? How do I find forgiveness and salvation? How do I get to heaven? 
And it's really very simple. There's three parts to it. One, God made you, God loves you, he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to forgive you of your sin, bring you to heaven when you die. But two, we miss out on that plan because of our sin. Sin causes a relational break, a relational barrier between two people. If you've ever um, been in a relationship where somebody cheated on you, not only did they do something they shouldn't have, but it caused a serious relational rift in your relationship, didn't it? Even if somebody just destroys your property, they, it's not enough if they just buy you a new lamp. They've got to apologize. There's a relational component to that. So God made you, loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. We miss out on this plan with God because of our sin. And here's the third part. Through Jesus Christ, you can have forgiveness for your past, the power to change today, and hope for your future, your eternity with Christ. That's it. Now, here's the key, though. Knowing God's plan of salvation is not the same thing as receiving or accepting God's plan of salvation. It does no good to get a gift and not open it. When I got married, someone gave me a picture frame. And Aunt Debbie, if you ever see this online, I'm very sorry for what I'm about to say. But it was so ugly. And so I never opened it until like five or six years later, I opened this picture frame to finally put something in it. And she had hidden a check for $100 in the picture frame. And like seven years later, I found this check. And I cashed it. No, I, I, I didn't. I didn't say anything. I had to rip it up and throw it away. I mean, what are you going to do, right? I had, I had received a gift, but I'd never opened it. It did me no good, right? God's plan of salvation for you is a gift, but if you don't receive it and if you don't open it, if you don't take hold of it, it does you no good. So here's the important question for you is how do I receive the gift of God's salvation? How do I get unshakable faith? And here's what the Bible says. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. If you are ready to receive God's gift of salvation, it is available to you through Jesus Christ. Circled those last three words, through Jesus Christ. Anyone who turns from their sin to follow Jesus can receive God's help. Because of the resurrection, God's salvation is available to you today. Today. 